This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. You're in for an amazing treat today. My guest, Ken Locke, is the visionary of Evolve Church. He's the official chaplain and barber of the Milwaukee Bucks. He's a speaker, a future author. He's got a lot going on. This is a guy that you're going to hear a lot about in the next few years, especially. Ken, man, welcome. So glad to have you, brother. Man, I'm excited to be here, Jamie. Thanks for having me, man. You're amazing. Absolutely. No, please. We've we've chatted a couple of times. And I mean, this guy's energy. What do you hear? What do you hear? So, all right, Ken, let's start with, I mean, we're going to get to the chaplain and barber of the Milwaukee Bucks. People go, okay. chaplain and barber of a team. That's That seems like, like a, a, how do you do that? But give me your backstory, where you're from. Give me kind of the, the beginnings of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You know, it's, it's, it, Milwaukee is a, a small city with a, with a big city mind. You know, we think we're a big city, but, we're <laughs> but anybody from any other city doesn't think that we're a big city. So I didn't, I didn't know the Milwaukee was small until I moved away. Went to school in Nashville, Tennessee State. I originally went to study psychology. That was my, my first study. And then ended up going into um, uh, to barber school because I was cutting my way through college and, and started realizing I could make more money cutting hair uh, than I could actually, you know, going back to grad school. And so I was back in Milwaukee. It was cutting hair. I uh, actually started cutting hair for the Milwaukee Bucks by by uh, a tweet. So Jared Dudley got traded here from the Phoenix Suns, got his haircut from a barber here in Milwaukee. And he was like, he made a tweet about it. Like, dude, I hate it. I hate my haircut. First day in Milwaukee, it sucks. And so I started getting tagged and blown up in a lot of stuff. And I had a, a buddy that named Deontay Garrett that played the Phoenix Suns with him. And so he texted him like, hey, bro, I got a barber. You should try him. I promise he's better than the last guy you had. And so he calls me that day. I go cut his hair. I fix it. He loves it. He's like, yo, come to the arena next week. I want you to cut my hair again. You're my barber. We're locked in. So I go to the arena, cut his hair the next week. Another guy named Kendall Marshall was there. I said, hey, bro, can you cut me? So I cut his hair. Another guy named Jabari Parker came to me. He said, hey, do you mind cutting my hair? I'm like, yeah, cool. So I cut their hair. Jabari Parker said, hey, can you come back next week? You're my barber now. And so I come back the next week. I cut his hair. Another guy named OJ Mayo was like, hey, can you cut my hair? I'm like, sure, I cut his hair. Yeah. I get done. This guy, little frail guy comes in, second year in the league, named Giannis Antetokounmpo. He comes in like, hey, you might cut my hair. And at this time, you know, I'm the big, I'm the big shot barber. He's a young athlete, you know. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I get you. I get you. And so I cut his hair. And by the end of this season, the team was like, Dude, you're, you're already cutting everybody's hair. Would you mind being a team barber? And I'm like, yes, I would absolutely love to be the team barber. So I've been the team barber since 2015. And then, you know, my wife and I, we planted a church in 2018 called Evolve Church here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And so we planted Evolve. And uh, at that time, I was sharing my faith and I was cutting Malcolm Brogdon. And Malcolm Brogdon was like, uh, hey, man, you know, do you mind you know, asking some questions about your faith? I'm like, yeah, here, I'm not here to persuade you, but it's what I believe. And we started talking and, man, he really kind of connected and related with some of the things that I said. And so he came to church that following Sunday and he goes back to the team and he's like, dude, 
But you no, know, Ken is a pastor. And they're like, you're talking Barbara Kennedy? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> Barbara Kennedy. That's like, so he's like a preacher barber. And so that kind of became my name. Like, yeah, the preacher barber is, is you know what I mean? He's he, he he's a pastor and he's pretty good. And so he tells the guys, and next thing you know, Chris Middleton is coming to church. Giannis and his family joins the church. Don Maker was coming. Malcolm Brogdon, now Drew Holiday, George Hill. And uh, the team reached out again. I'm like, well, you did it again. Don't know how you <laughs> snuck in. But since you're already getting all the guys to come to your church, do you want to be the chaplain? And it was funny because I did not even know that there was such a thing as an NBA chaplain. That's a th- Is that every team? Every team has one? Every team has one. Oh, I didn't know that. And I, it was mind-blowing to me. I'm like, well, who's the guy here? And it's like, yeah, the guy here has been here for almost 30 years. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's time for some, you know, young guy to shake it up. And so they invited me in. I became the team chaplain and uh, had a lot of fun with it. Made it to the Steve Harvey show because I'm the first, I'm the first ever barber and chaplain of the NBA team. And I made, so that's history. And I also made history where I've been the youngest chaplain. I became a chaplain at 29 years old. So the youngest chaplain ever in NBA history. And so it's been a lot of fun, man. It's been a lot of fun. Get a chance to relate. I'm probably closer to the guy's age more than anybody else. So we get a chance to joke, have fun, and uh, at the same time, sharing our faith. Is that why the 30-year guy, I was going to ask what happened to him, was it just that, hey, nobody's showing up, he, it was, he was unrelatable for the players? Is that what happened? Yeah, so I, I mean, he had been here for so many years, you know what I mean? I, I think it just became to a point of where he was, he was the, I mean, he's the, the age of their grandfathers <laughs> yeah. at this point, you know? And so it became to a point where maybe it just wasn't as relatable. And I wasn't there for him, so I, I can't speak as... Fully, but the uh, chaplain position is a player-nominated position, so the players have to choose who they want to kind of be a guide uh, for faith for them. And so they chose me to be that. What does it look like to be a chaplain or a barber? And I don't know, maybe you're going to add something. Uh, what's next? Like the toenail clipper of the of the you know of the mean? Milwaukee? Like I can... <laughs> <laughs> something, right? We got to add more slashes to your clipper, time. right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe on the bench, maybe twelfth man, one of these games. I'll get you in there. Listen, but... you know, I think I can hold my own. I'm, I'm not saying I'll be well. You know, I can get up and down without losing breath. At least, you know what well, I mean? I have, you, ha- have you scrimmaged? Have you gone like, have you been in a full, like, these guys are in it. I'm going to play with them for a second. Have you seen their best? Oh, man, I have. So, I mean, I haven't got a chance to play against, like, Giannis for a lot, but we've had a three-on-three shooting contest, and I played one-on-one with some of the guys. So, I know I can hang. Like, you know what I mean? Okay. Like That's what I was going to ask. Go, yeah. I, I stay in shape. I still play basketball a few times a week. I'm not saying I'm better. I'll beat them, but I know that. You know, as the 12th man, I can at least hold defense and make the corner three. That's that's all you need sometimes. <laughs> Up 30, put a body in, right? That could be you. Absolutely. Whatever you need. Whatever you need. Um, all right. So you become the official chaplain and the official barber. Is that like a, like a are you like a W-2 employee of the Bucks, or is it more you get to use that designation? I, like, what does it look like? What's that relationship with the Bucks for you when you're the official of these two things? No, absolutely. So on the barber side, you're pretty much in, in uh, contractor coming in. So you're you no know, 1099 guy, um, but pretty much take care of you, charge them hourly, whatever ways you see fit. I'm not going to say my wage on here, but sure. you well <laughs> to make sure they take care of you. Um, and then I'm hourly there for the guys and the guys are also able to tip and pay whatever they want. And the guys take great care, great care of me. Been you know, Giannis's barber for seven years now, Chris Middleton for six. Um, I've been with George Hill a few times. He was here, then left and came back. You no know, Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez. He gets his hair cut twice a year. So I have to really enjoy those times. 
um, then as the chaplain, the chaplain is actually more so of like a spiritual guy. So it, has, it isn't a pay position as much as it is more so like mentorship. So I get a unique uh, opportunity mm-hmm. and to be that I do a Bible study with the players uh, an hour before every game for about 10 to 15 minutes. And then I also get a chance to speak to them personally. So um, I am the marriage counselor for uh, three of the husbands and wives. We won't say names, but I'm yeah, a relationship sure. counselor. I'm the personal uh, advisor for a couple of those guys, not financial, sure. <laughs> life, a life coach. So I get a chance just to be uniquely uh, to serve and enrich their lives in whatever way they see possible. And the way that I kind of tell everybody is really nothing more than a genuine friend. And so I'm sometimes just a listening ear. I'm just there. Yeah, I want to go into this in a moment because it's interesting. When you said 29, man, there's the, at the youngest chaplain, uh, there's a heart of wisdom there. And I want to know where that comes from in a sec. But before I go there, I'm interested on the barber side of it real quick. Maybe maybe a final question. Maybe it'll lead to another one. But you, um, did you own a barber shop or were you a barber at a shop when you when you took this role? Yeah, so I was so I was a barber and I was part owner. So my mom actually had a hair salon and I ran the barber side. So we yeah. were in business together um, until she retired from the business. She was just like, hey, it's too much for me. She went into real estate and then I officially launched uh, my own barber shop. But at that time, her and I were both co-owners. So now what does that look like? I got to imagine when the when the when you're announced as the official chaplain of the Milwaukee Bucks, that yeah. it's good for business at the barbershop. What, what did that, what did that do? What does that look like? Do you still work there? Like, give me kind of an update on the barbershop, where it is today and what you do with it. Yeah. So the barbershop is still up and running. I mean, it's, you know, very successful. Um, I got about four barbers, you know, three uh, beauticians or women, female stylists. Um, because I was there, obviously we did well. My notoriety went really, really fast. And so like, obviously supply and demand, the demand was so high that, you know, my prices went up three X, you know, and uh, I've been able to you know, supply a great life with my family due to it. Most people think, oh, barbers, beauticians, they don't make a lot of money. Mine's a little bit different. You know, I made six figures for a long time uh, being a barber because of the opportunity and the relationships. And once again, that supply and demand just it just worked out that way. Also worked out for all of my my uh, barbers and beauticians that were in my salon. They're all doing amazingly well. So, I mean, it's a fun opportunity for all of us. Yeah, so it's still going. You Are you, you are you still cutting hair? In, you don't cut hair in the barbershop at this point. Uh, I'm not there anymore. I retired. Some people still try to track me down. They'll see me <laughs> driving down the street and it'll beep. And <laughs> yeah, they'll track me down and try to get me to cut their hair because there's such a there's such a unique relationship with your barber. And for those, especially in the urban community, if you're raised in inner city, man, you understand like your barber is your friend. Your barber is your counselor. Your barber is your marriage advisor. Your, your barber is the one you kind of bounce the frustrations of your day off with. Your barber is the one that you talk to about your kid's birthday. And your barber is you talk to about your life's difficulties. And so most of my I make jokes and say most of my counseling started being a barber because you have an uh, uninterrupted 20 to 25 minutes with each client where you are already working on their head. You get a chance to learn what's in their head. That makes sense. Yeah. On their head. Yeah, really, you can see right through. it. So now do you, what do you go? I mean, I got to imagine that the draw of the barbershop still involves the fact that it's owned by Ken Locke, the official barber of the Milwaukee Bucks. Do, yeah. do, do they ever see you? Do you ever go in? 
Yeah, absolutely. I always try to stop it whenever I can. Sometimes I'll get some of the guys to come through. Um, I've gotten Chris Middleton to come through, George Hill to come through, Dante DiVincenzo to come through, Stone Brown would always come through for me. So I would get some of the guys, uh, Sandro, to come through. Just come through, say what's up to the people, Jordan Wauer, and they'll you know, talk, take pictures, Pat Connaughton, laugh. And it's always fun because people get a chance to meet some of their favorite players and then also get a chance to ask some of those questions they always wanted to ask, but never had the opportunity to ask. Makes sense. You ever walk through with the ring? You got to have a championship ring from the championship yeah, year? Or I no? got a championship ring. I, I was going <laughs> to wear it today, but my wife was like, Ken, listen, you can't do, you know, <laughs> you're going to mess the camera up. I'm like, all right, all right. Why do our wives ruin great? Mo- I would have loved to have seen that. That would have been amazing, but that's all right. Yeah, all right I, I, I got it on the side. If you need me to grab it, just let me know. I got we, it. We, we might do that toward the end. I'll say like, okay, let's get, <laughs> let's get an official flat. It'll be a lot bigger than this thing. So, We'll see a flash of this ring. We got to get it. And the people that might be listening to the audio, we'll kick them over to the video so they can see. Uh, there you they go. They got to come. Yeah. Right? Exactly. I love yeah, that. Yeah. All right. Let's go back to, it's interesting. There's a couple of like data points that you you dropped that that uh, that make me want to ask about uh, about um, Evolve and how that came to be. And even just your ability to be a chaplain at 29 years old, to have that kind of wisdom that resonates, right? So uh, the timeline I'm hearing is you were a barber. That sort of uh, introduced you, especially like you said, in an urban setting to this, I don't know, like de facto counselor thing. And it sounds like you might have enjoyed that. I'm assuming that's what precipitated the desire to go for psychology uh, when you went to Nashville. It was sort of like, okay, so you have that. You have a you you start a church. Got early twenties. Is that how old were you when you started the church? I was twenty eight when we started our church. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Where did all this come from? Like, it feels like this is a gift that you have, right? And you're tapped into it, which is amazing, especially at a young age. But I don't know, when did you, when did you kind of develop this or realize like, man, this is my calling? How did that happen? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, so my dad is a pastor, you know what I mean? So I was one of those kids that was raised in church. And then eventually I thought I'm probably going to leave church just because you know, being born and raised and you kind of just get, you feel the, no, it's mundane. You kind of get used to it. I still had my faith in God. That, that wasn't a question, but it's just like the the typical process. And um, excuse me. And so it was um, a, a thing where I was kind of just in my own journey, looking for faith, found faith in a much stronger way, started serving at my dad's church. And then um, honestly, I just thought that there was a huge disconnect for people in my generation. So I'm a millennial. And so I was just looking around and like, you never saw millennials really discussing faith really on a high level or high capacity in high capacity way. And so just kind of had a vision on it. My passion, I realized, was wanting to see millennials get a chance to discover and express their faith the same way that I did. And so that's when we started our church. Our church has actually started to be really a millennial church. It became multifaceted and multi-generational on its own. But I was just thinking like, man, what if I was able to, to discuss faith in a way that millennials actually wanted to learn more about God? And then that's what we started doing. And our church exploded. I mean, in three years, you grew to 1,500 people just because it kind of just exploded in its its own organic way. Wow. All right. Talk a bit about your relationship. It's funny you say that, man. I grew up Catholic, right? I'm a a standard, standard Catholic story. I'm forced into church every Sunday. And Catholics are considered to be like adults in the church at confirmation, right? You go through all these sacraments, you hit confirmation, you're an adult. And then like every other person uh, that gets confirmation until maybe later in their life, you stop going to church. Like, I'm an adult. I could choose not to go to church. I'm not going to church. And to your point, I mean, you know, when you're 14, 15, 16, even now, man, I'm in my 40s. I, I just that solemn, like you know, slow, whatever. It just doesn't, it, there's not appeal to it, right? So I definitely get where you can bring 
you know, like that younger generational, like that flair, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word to, to, to preaching, but, but why, like, tell me about your relationship with God. Like I I get that you were raised in the church. I guess that you, you know, I get, understand that. So it's formed there, but you still have to make the decision that this is such a strong bond that you want to devote your life to it. Can you, I don't know how to ask the question, but I'm sure you've been asked it. And I know you can, you can articulate it. Can you articulate what God is for you, the relationship you have with God? Can you talk through that a little bit? No, absolutely, man. So like my relationship with God is, um, it's funny because it's like uh, multifaceted. It's, it's, it's traditional, yet it's current. And what I mean by that is that I still believe that like God is the creator of everything, the creator of the universe. I believe in his Holy Son. I believe in God's spirit that moves in us, the Trinity three in one. The struggle that I've had with uh, religion as a whole is that I, I believe that they were a- only able to understand God as one very esoteric outside being. He's not really relevant in today's day and time. He's not in the he's not in the day to day motion. I should say the he's not in the handshake. He's not in your heart in your grieving moments. He's not with your family and your loss. He's not in your marriage and your difficult days. He's not with your children where they're trying to find identity. He's he's kind of just out there somewhere looking down. Right. And it was like this, this journey of like trying to find like, okay, no, like even like the seek God. And it's like, man, like, you know, what am I seeking? Am I praying to the stars? Am I, you know, do I bow? Everybody does something different. Do I get on my knees? You know, it's it's, it's just crazy. There's so many different ways and rules in which you you do it. And so like, I kind of went in this own journey for myself, man. And I was like studying all kinds of faiths. I won't lie to you. I'm like, I should find it. And I was reading the, 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 the word of God one time and like I, some things have started to pop out, you know, where it started saying like, you know, God is inside of you and in your heart. And other things that started to pop out, even like the, the name Jesus and faith and the Christian faith, where I was always taught the, the John 3, 16, you know, for God to love the world, he gave his only begotten son and whoever loves, you know, and believes in him, you will never perish, have everlasting life. My dad's a pastor, heard it my whole life. But never, never read verse 17, where it was like so simple, but it meant everything to me when it was like God never sent his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And like a light bulb came on, like every time I felt condemnation, it didn't come from him. That was our view of what God is, but that was never his plan to send condemnation. He knew we were messed up. He knew he had issues. His whole plan was providing a pathway for us to get back to him. And so that became the language is what is getting back to our origin? What is getting back to the creator? What is getting back to our purpose? And why am I alive? And, and who am I in the very essence of my being? And so it became a journey for myself and it became so impactful. I mean, I became uh, a father, had a kid, but I became a better father. I became a better husband. My wife told me I was such a better man. I found God just, just overall, just who I am and what men don't talk about often, our tempers. My, t- you know, all of that kind of stuff just began to change. And even just the joy, like the smile, you know, that you just talked about, this guy is always smiling. Something about you is your energy. And I'm like, man, this didn't used to be me. That something really is my relationship with God, my relationship with the creator. And so that's what it became for me. And then my goal was, how do I help other people who may be lost in the language Right. Of what religion and church is sometimes. And I'm not one of those people who's just like gun ho against it. Like, hey, I'm not that. I believe there are so many healthy facts and facets to it. I just believe that sometimes we we lose God in our language 
of trying to explain him. And it's almost like somebody asking me, no, explain Jamie. And I start off good. Like, man, he's a, he's a great guy, man. I know him as a, a husband and he's a father. And, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I just keep going. And it's like, oh, wait, 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 Ken. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's me. Like, kind of right. slow down, but you're kind of losing the message. Oh, and wow. essentially, yeah. that's what I feel it is. I feel like sometimes we lose the message in picking who we do love and don't love and how we do it and don't do it. And we just, we really miss the entire message that God is love and that God knew we all were going to make mistakes and that even on our best days, we still have more work to do. And it's like, it's okay. That's the whole point of God loving us how we are. Man, that is fascinating. And and just, and this is no BS, man. Like you are captivating. I can see how this church is growing. I mean, yeah, I get the bucks give you, you know, like marketability and all of that stuff, but you've got, there's a, it's really authentic and genuine how you come across with your messaging. I mean, I mean that like it's rare that you see a speaker so clear. An interesting aside, I had a guy on this podcast that I don't think it's released yet is the time that we're recording it. It will be probably named Michael Franzis. And he was a former Colombo crime family captain, right? So like really, if you're into the mafia at all, good. He was actually, he was actually in Goodfellas, not him, but a guy played him in Goodfellas. Like, hey, this is Mikey Francis. Yeah. Fascinating dude, man. Like not to overmarket that episode, but in like 1986, Fortune Magazine did a top 20 gangsters uh, thing. And it was like John Gotti and then him. Like, you know, crazy, fascinating. <laughs> okay. He paid for his, his time. He did his time. And in prison, he, uh, he uh, uh, had a Bible. He was so angry at God, he threw it at the wall and it opened. And I think he says in his book, it opened to the paragraph, John, John 3.16 and John 3.17. And that converted him. That completely changed wow. his life. So now he speaks. He, he goes to he talks to kids in inner cities about about gangs. He goes to uh, 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 sports locker rooms to talk about gambling because, I mean, that was all part of what was in the mafia. And it's all based in his his faith and in, 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 uh, his faith and what he's learned by being a Christian. It's what wow. you said, literally the same verse wow. that you referenced. He referenced. That's really interesting. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Right? yeah. I, I, see, now I got to go listen to that podcast episode. I got to go listen to not that. out yet, but you will soon. Yeah. <laughs> He was great, man. He was an amazing guest. But on the other side of that, I want to talk about this idea, like, you know, this uh, at 32, yeah. your, your uh, sense of identity is so strong and, and to me, abnormal for a guy your age, right? Like usually yeah. it took me to 40 and I found that that's very normal. Like most guys <laughs> and gals, like they're finding themselves around 40 years old, like, ah, what's the meaning of life? Yeah. But, but you, you went from, Hey, I'm a barber. I kind of like this I've got a gift here for, for maybe, you know, helping people find their way through things. Psychology makes sense. So do you, yeah. you go the practical route, you find that, yeah, the practical route isn't my passion, but I, I like, I like being a barber. And by living in that gift, man, you're the youngest chaplain and barber for a, an NBA team. You're literally at the top. I mean, I don't know if there's a bigger gig for a barber than being the barber <laughs> of a professional sports franchise, right? No, no, that's it. Can't be. You know, at the pinnacle. That's the top, right? You have a business that's thriving as a result of it. And then you start a church that's scaled to 1,500 people with your message. Where in here have you ever recognized that you're fully in your gift? Do you feel like this is fully who you are identity-wise, or are you still exploring that? And honestly, I feel like I'm still exploring. And this is why I feel that everything that has happened has come as a result of me not just discovering who I am, but learning to walk in who I am, right? Yeah. So everything that I have is, is a result of that. And you're looking at really a short clip of time, you know? So you're looking at somebody saying, man, okay, you really discovered who you are over the last, like, I mean, solid, maybe five years, five to six years, and you just started walking and running in it. 
right? And this is the result of it. So imagine me at 15 years solid in my, in, in my identity or 20 years. And so that's why I believe that, it, I mean, it's so expansive. There are so many opportunities uh, that God has afforded me even now and things I can't even you know announce yet. I want to wait till it culminates, but just amazing opportunities that I get a chance to walk into. And it all came as a result of just staying solid and staying in my lane. And so our generation says it all the time, like stay in your lane, stay in your lane. But that's kind of hard when you don't know what your lane is, right? And there's this mindset that you got to just drop everything and and like and chase, you know, your dream, your passion with all that you have. And to be honest, I bought into that. Like I bought into like just chase your dream. And like I was a kid that would stay up all night, not be listening to speeches of Les Brown and John Maxwell. And you know what I mean? Like yeah. anybody that's just you know, a phenomenal speaker. I'm like, OK, I'm listening and I. I'm going to grow and I'm trying to start businesses and I'm looking at everything, network, network marketing schemes, Ponzi schemes, whatever you want. <laughs> I want to do Amway and every, like I was one of those kids and then it clicked and it's like, man, I really believe that your, your purpose isn't something that you see on the outside and then you identify what you want to chase. Your purpose is what you see on the, on the inside and then you identify what you want to become, what you want to establish, right? And so I started seeing like, me and and what I am. It was honestly John Maxwell. I believe one time it was years ago that said, you "No, know, you. It's easier to find your your purpose when you could think of what you would do for free. Like what if you could do it every day and do it for free? What would it be? And for me, it was like, man, like I love people. Genuinely, as crazy as that sound, the people that have done me wrong and craziness. My wife would tell me, "You forgive too fast or too easy," and I'm like, it, it just it's a it's a I guess it's a gift and a curse, but. I just love people, you know? And so my passion was, man, how do I speak life? How do I speak to people? And, and, and the next challenge was speak to people about what? And for me, my biggest message was the journey, my journey to my faith and how I felt lost and how I questioned if God was real and if faith was real. And you know, what if any of this is real? And I spent some time in that, but then finding my faith and just what it did for me, what it did for me as a man, as an individual, as a father, as a husband, literally my life is night and day. And so I just imagine how many people were like me or are like me. And I wish I would have had a person like me to talk to me when I didn't have that well, who did? Yeah, no, that's what I was going to. So look, I, I, the question, and if I go on too long of a tangent here, bring me back to it. But the question yeah, is going to be essentially like, like, what was it that got you there? Like, what made you turn inwardly? Like, what was it that got you to say, I don't, that's a great way of putting it. You don't grab purpose by looking outwardly. It's inwardly. Was it, yeah. was it somebody or some bodies that got you there? Maybe it was God. Maybe it was somebody physically around you. I don't yeah. know. But um, to your point, like, you know, about doing for free this, I like, I left my job and I have, you know, businesses that I have and everything, but Man, I doubled up the podcast. It used to just be a Friday member episode, and now it's Tuesday yeah. for guys like you and Friday for members, right? And yeah. I, I'd do a third episode a week, honestly. Like, if you gave me a $200 million today and said, stop doing everything but one thing, it would be this. I would podcast. Whoa. I love this. I love yeah. the storytelling. I love meeting cool people like you. Yeah. I feel fully immersed in. And, and look, do people buy an Emerge course from this? I'm sure they do. Do they join GoBundance? I'm sure they do, right? That, that's all good. I don't track any of that. I have no idea what it does. I just love Thursdays because every Thursday I line up recordings and I can go Whoa. hours, hours yeah, doing this. Man. Let's so, go. I hear you. But for me, it took being part of this community, Go Abundance, that I talked to you about. It took being part of that and being around these guys to unlock the fact that it's okay to be me, right? Like, I, I don't need to perform for somebody else or make it look good. Like, I, I've always said, like, 
my ego and my authentic self went through an epic battle a few years back. And the guidance I had to let my authentic self like beat my ego down was other men around me that, that, you know, supported that version of me and made me feel like, you know what? Yeah, I can just be me and let's see what happens. And like you said, you're so much further ahead right now because you're so much younger and you've done this. But in the last year or two, man, what's happened? And I can't imagine what five years or 10 years from now is going to be like, right? Come on, come on. But, but what was it for you? How did you get there? What, did you have somebody around you? Was it just your faith? Like, how did you how did you find your way to being okay with, no, I know what I am inside. I don't need to find it on the outside. I don't need to listen to John Maxwell and Eric Thomas and all these guys. Like, I can hear it in here. What was that? What did that for you? Yeah, man, honestly, sincerely, it was really sink or swim. And the reason I say it was it was sink or swim is because wow. so I'm in Milwaukee, right? So uh, number one, my family's going through this weird thing. I, you know, I have a huge family, 10 sisters, one brother. He was 14 people in a two-bedroom household, right? Slept on the floor until I was a teenager. So, uh, you know, you're raised in poverty, so you have that working against you, all right? I've had family members who just come trying to come out of poverty, found the wrong lifestyle end up in prison. So you see that kind of stuff. So you're like, wow, okay, clearly I don't want to do that. I want to push away from that. You look around the other side, there was just some very stark realities here in Milwaukee that makes you feel like, sometimes feel as if there's just no way out. What I mean by that is like Milwaukee, you know, it's number one city in the, in the country, uh, most segregated city in the country. So you're growing up in that kind of environment. You're like, man, this is really, really tough. All right, Milwaukee also has the most incarcerated zip code in the world. And I lived in that zip code. And you're like, man, this is crazy, right? It feels like, like it's weighing in on you. Then one of my closest friends was, um, was, was murdered. And not because he was in any bad, bad violence. He actually had another friend who ended up getting some, a, a, a bad drug and kind of went crazy and, and, and shot, shot him. He just was really, really bad. He's in the mental hospital. But all of this stuff is happening. And you're like, like you can't breathe. Like you, you can't catch your breath. It literally is a sink or swim where it wasn't me finding purpose for anybody else, Jamie. It was me finding purpose for me. Like, why am I here? You know, I'm, I'm watching people you know, live in crazy situations around me. I've, I watch friends who my age die. I've, I've lived in some of the worst environments, but yet I'm still here. I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. I was like, what, what am I here for? And when I found my purpose and my faith in God, I started looking around and I was like, you know, how many people need what I'm getting and, and they just don't have access to it or they don't they don't find a message that connects because millennials, we know we're about connecting. I got to connect. And if I don't connect, if I don't feel from it, it's hard for me to tap into something that I don't genuinely feel connects with me. And so uh, I just started speaking from the heart. And I didn't have any real consistent messaging. I didn't say I was a preacher. In fact, I didn't even want to be right. I just wanted to start speaking from the heart. And others identified it as you have a real gift. And that's something mm. you shouldn't stay away from. Like, man, like when you said this, we were just in a barbershop and I would be talking and sharing my story. And um, I would get home and I would get text messages like, hey, man, I, I know this may be weird, but thank you for what you said. It really makes me want to be a better father. No, thank you for what you said. It makes me want to be a better husband. Thank you for what you said. I'm I'm chasing my dream that I put down 10 years ago. And I, and I wasn't here to give a message. Right. We're just hey, talking man. and I'm speaking from the heart. But I started to realize that there was just this God given natural ability to speak about things that were, that were life-changing. Couldn't fight it. Couldn't fight it anymore. Right. Couldn't it's who it. you are. It came Couldn't out, man. There's so much in that. That is so cool. Like it, 
I love what you said because I look. I've had that experience where where I'll, I'll have somebody reach out, and I'll be honest. Sometimes it's like when you're when you're feeling like, man, it, you know, I'm trying to do something here. I don't feel like it's landing. Nothing. Yeah. I'm not really. I thought I could make an impact, but I'm not. And then somebody out of the blue, it's like you know, from above or whatever, Come says says, you know, hey, Jamie, I don't really engage much. You won't hear from me or see me like you know, commenting on stuff or. But man, this you said the other day really helped me get through X. And that's like that little like, okay, keep going, right? So good. Absolutely. It's that it's that little encouragement that you need to continue going in your purpose because anytime you're trying to you're trying to make this huge impact that starts with one drip at a time, you know, and it's you know, that drip isn't what you're looking for. You're looking for huge, but you keep getting just a little nudge, a little bit here and there. But when the drip becomes consistent and you start hearing over and over, man, this really impacted me. This really changed my life. And then people will start coming and saying like, man, you know, can I talk to you more? Can yeah. I speak to you more? And we started talking. My wife and I became marriage counselors on accident. We weren't even trying to be marriage counselors. People were just coming like, man, you talked about your marriage and hey, you became a better husband. Do you mind if I talk to you? And then the wife is like, well, can I talk to your wife? And then we're meeting with both of them on our couch. And they left and told two friends like, dude, we met with them. And like our marriage is better. And we started getting text messages like, hey, can we be one of the couples you counsel next? <laughs> we're, not, we're not counseling couples right now. We're just meeting with friends. Well, a thousand couples later, you can't keep saying you're meeting with friends. You know, now we literally have almost become in our generation, like a couple of people just run to. But it's not because I'm taking any credit. That wasn't my goal. I started off sharing my faith and that I became a better husband. And then people had obviously a plethora of questions. Well, but you know, see, and what you said earlier about like you started out with what you're doing, not like with some grand plan or like, oh, okay, I've got my, I've got my, uh, my, my Mailchimp account set up so that I could take in emails and market. Like you didn't, you just started doing what you love doing, right? Well, I, it's funny because like I, again, when I left my job, you know, I'm a middle aged, forty year old dude leaving a high paying job and career with equity on the table, all that stuff. And I had a lot of people that were the exact same, 35, 40, 45 years old, going like, I don't even know what I would do. And what I've learned in my time away is what I did do, un unbeknownst to me, I guess, is one, I had the right community to support me in doing this, is I just started doing what felt good. And then it would change. And like that change was what kept me maybe from trying the first thing. Cause it's like, well, I, if I do this, I need to know exactly what I'm going to do and exactly what yeah. it's going to be. And I have to stay on that path. Otherwise people are going to yeah. think I'm, I'm too all over the place or too crazy. Like that external yeah, judgment yeah. would come in, <laughs> but it was just, I, I started doing this. I created like for me, a meetup group. And then it was like, Oh, okay. I guess we can create content on, on real estate investing and put it out. And then, oh, okay. Yeah. We can create a course. And yeah, I could yeah. like, to your point, you just sort of like accidentally became exactly what you were intended to be which Absolutely. is a counselor for these, for these couples. Go ahead. I'm going to, you're gonna no, no, you're right on point, Jamie. It's one of those things that, uh, like you said, you, you accidentally became, but for me, I don't believe you accidentally become, I believe you become and what's supposed to come to you comes to you. Yeah. Right. I was supposed to serve these families. I was supposed to serve these couples. I was supposed to serve these players because I don't treat people different based on their financial status. I'm not going to try to find a way to get something from you. That's one of the, uh, as a matter of fact, because of uh, that very fact, many of the relationships have become friendships and sure. we're friends. And I spend time with these guys in the off season and at their homes and with their families. And sometimes we, we take trips. The reason we do this is because they realize very early that I'm not looking at this relationship to say, what can I get? I never walk into any relationship with that mindset. So I won't start it now. I walk into it saying, what can I give? And so I just became, just became this 
And then like, it's funny because I use the word kind of haphazardly accidental, but because of my faith, I don't believe it was accidental. I believe that everything that I'm doing right now was a part of the plan of me just simply becoming and being comfortable with what I am. And it does, and it didn't fit any statistics. I mean, we started our church. I mean, typical pastors are like, are you crazy? You're way too young. Why would you start a church at 28 years old? It's crazy, right? Like that doesn't even make sense. But since then, many of the same pastors have come back and said, hey, I need you to teach me something because I can't reach millennials and you can, obviously. <laughs> so, so I need to learn kind of just from the, the, the mindset that you have. And for me, I just ignore societal norms. I ignore statistics. I just follow what feels right, not what feels good. But what feels right because it doesn't always feel good following purpose, man. But. Wow, I like that too, man. Because that's a question I get a lot. Like, well, how do I know if this is if this is good or like you know this feels good, but is it the right thing? That's a great. There's a distinction. I like that it a lot. Is. And it what's is. funny, I, if you're watching the YouTube, you will have seen me just mouth what you were saying before you said it. It's not what I can get. It's what I can give. I, I kid you not. If you go over to my Instagram account right now, I have a reel. It's probably like six or seven ago from right now as we record this, where I'm speaking to a room and I say to them, well, if you want to know the secret to you know benefiting from having a network, don't go into it with what you can get. Go into it with what you can give. The exact yeah. words you just said. The difference between you and me is you figured this stuff out early, man. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm blown away by that. I honestly am. I'm blown away by that. Like this took Thank me- this decade that you're in right now that you're able to just grow. And I mean, again, you're 32 at 40. You're still going to be a kid, right? I'm still a kid at 43. When you, when you became 30, right? When you were 20, it was like 30s an adult. Then you're 30. I'm like, I'm 20. I'm, I'm, I'm still a kid. Same thing yeah. happens at 40 and I'm expecting the same thing is going to happen to 50. But no. when you're, when you're at 40, what you'll be, the brand you'll be, what you will have been able to accomplish, who you'll be, who you will have been able to impact. Wow, I'm getting you early. I'm getting you on this thing early is what oh, it boils let's down Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm happy you're saying that because I get a chance to lean on you and glean from your wisdom and your experience, man. So I love it. It's another way of saying I'm old. But I'll take it. I'll take it. That's fine. I'll, I'll... <laughs> man, I knew this was going to be good when we chatted. I, and um, I, I could go... I can go so many ways, but let's do this. Let's talk a little bit about, well, actually I want to go, I wrote this down. I forgot to go back to it. I didn't know about Steve Harvey. What was the Steve Harvey thing? Can you give me that story? Yeah, Steve Harvey was, uh, it was last year. So after the Bucks won the championship, Steve Harvey team started looking into what was some of the unique qualities of this team that made them different from every other, uh, other NBA team? How did they win? And one of the things they picked out was, whoa, this team prays together in the middle of the court after every game. And they were like, what's going on? And they looked and saw this young guy in the middle, like, who is this guy leading prayer? And it's like, oh, it's the NBA chaplain, the guy that led prayer with them after every single game. The only team in the NBA that prays together, center court, whether it's ESPN, national game, or untelevised, we're here together. And um, so he reached out to me. And, and at first, to be honest, I thought it was fake because I, well, he I, reached out, not his team. He well, reached out. No, his team. His team reached out. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, you know, imagine anybody in the email like, hey, we're Steve Harvey's team. It's like, yeah, go kick rocks, right? right. <laughs> like, you know, you try because I didn't have anything set up. I didn't have, you know, a website and stuff. I'm just like, hey, I'm, I'm just living in my purpose, right? Yeah. So you reach out to and say, you know, Steve wants to interview you, saw your story, loved it. We'd love to have you on the show. And so I, I responded like, sure, cool. You know, send for the tickets and then we'll do it. And I told my wife and I told my wife, I'm not going to tell anybody until I get plane tickets in my email because that's how I know it's real. I don't know it's real unless I get plane tickets. And so once I got the tickets, I told my family and, and we flew down there. I actually told Steve Harvey, I'm going to say this everywhere I go. 
but he told me I was his favorite interview of all time, right? And I was like, listen, you interview a lot of people. That is enough kudos for me, brother. Like, just telling me I'm your favorite interview. But um, it was a compilation of God, basketball, and faith and how, how those three worked together for me. And I laughed and told my mom, I promised her I would make it to the NBA when I was a kid. I told my mom I still made my, I kept my promise just not playing, but uh, speaking faith. But I'm, I still made it to the NBA and uh, he wanted to hear the exact same question you asked, which is, what is my messaging? What is my faith? And how do I relate to this caliber of person? So the super successful young multimillionaire, a widely known and accepted athlete, you know, how do you connect with a Giannis Antetokounmpo? How do you connect with the Chris Middleton? How do you connect with the, a Drew Holiday? And uh, I told him, like, you connect with them the same way you connect with every other human being. So if, if you saw these people, and you didn't know them for their notoriety, but they were just a person you saw on the street and you felt led to speak life to them or to encourage them or to say hi, how would you speak? And you wouldn't speak from a space of what can I get, whether it be an autograph or a picture, you wouldn't become a fan. You would honestly look at this person and say, man, this is somebody that needs something from me, right? Yeah. And so when I look at these relationships, I don't go in saying, what, I can, I, what can I get? As we said earlier, what can I give? And I realized very, very early on that when you when you reach that level of success so early, and you're talking about me being young at 28, but a lot of these guys are 19 and 20 coming into the NBA, it's just hard to trust. It's hard to connect. It's hard to know who's there for you, who's there to become famous because of you, or who's just hitching their onto your wagon and holding on for dear life, right? And so for me, I made sure that they never felt any of that from me. And, and every single day, it was just a genuine connection. And when we walked away, we walked away. It wasn't a picture posted. It wasn't a retweet. There wasn't anything I was trying to get from it. And uh, it took a couple of years. Uh, Chris Middleton and I were just talking about it. He laughed. He said, man, it took a couple of years for us to really trust that you were the real deal. But but we know it now. And so yeah, yeah. Uh, it's that's most guys in professional sports is just trying to figure out who's really here for me or, or who's here for what they can get from me. Interesting. I, I don't know how I missed the Steve Harvey thing. I'm going to have to start doing a little more Google <laughs> research here. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Let's yeah. talk about a little bit of, uh, of uh, we were chatting a bit before about what you observe, right? So you you happen to be in a, in a unique position to be around, you know, uh, what I call peak performers. We've had a couple of athletes on the show, major league all-stars, uh, NFL pro bowlers, really cool people. Guys, you know, Eric, I think, you know, Eric Wood and yeah, some yeah, of these yeah. guys that, yeah, Wood, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's amazing, amazing guy. But you get to observe, you know, guys in their prime right now, uh, uh, you know, killing it. I mean, Giannis is a great example of that. I mean, he is the MVP, right? The most valuable player amongst the league of very, very unbelievably skilled, driven, uh, determined athletes. What is it? Let me ask it this way. What is it about a Giannis? Like how how different or distinct is Giannis from the rest of the pool, from a another all-star or whatever? Like what is it that distinguishes him? Is it just he's a physical freak? Or is there something else that he is that makes him most valuable player amongst unbelievably gifted athletes? How does that work? Uh, so, I mean, you, you literally just asked a loaded question. So you're like, what makes <laughs> he just a freak? Absolutely not. I mean, there, what people don't talk about is that there, there is an abundance of 6'11 players in the NBA. Yeah. An abundance. I mean, there's just Vail McGee, the Anthony Davis, the White Howard. I mean, there's just so many. You can go over and over and over on... Who's 6'11 and made it to the NBA? As a matter of fact, there are so many names you don't know right. of people who are 6'11 and made it to the NBA. What separates this guy is, and, and, and honestly, I'm not saying this because he's a friend or I'm trying to pin a rose on his nose. 
uh, I'm, I'm being as transparent as I possibly can, is that he's literally one of the hardest working guys I know. Um, so much to the point of where the, the team had to lock him out, right? They had wow. to lock him out of their practice facility so that he could rest. Hmm. So, I mean, they would have practice in the morning. He would go in before practice and then he would practice with the team. Then he would stay another two hours in practice and he would go home and eat and rest and then come back that night again to practice, you know, for two or three hours to go home and get rest to come back the next morning and practice. And, and the team physicians were like kind of nervous. Like, hey, we think we're going to, he's going to beat his body up too bad. Somebody has to stop him because he's so determined he 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 doesn't know have an off switch yet. And um I saw him just continue to work, continue to work over and over and over. And even in my conversations, I would talk to people, and this is real. He's he's one of the people that he he really is the the uh, epitome of not spraying wide, but staying narrow, like staying locked in on what you feel called to do. I would talk to different players in the NBA, and I've got a chance to work with a lot of players. Uh, and so many of them are, hey, I'm a basketball player. I'm also, I'm a kind of an actor. I, I also do music. Um, I, I also mentor kids. Uh, I have an AAU program. And they have just an abundance of amazing things. And to me, it's like ridiculously phenomenal to see how much they're able to accomplish. Giannis was like, Kenny, I play basketball. Like, like that's what I do. I, I'm, I'm not trying to create five programs two institutions. I'm not trying to write a book. I'm not trying to get my name out. Like I play basketball. That is my passion. That is what I do. And I literally watched him in a 24 month span win a back-to-back MVP, an MVP and defensive player in the same year, an all-star MVP, a finals MVP, most improved player. This is like 24 months. And I, and it's, it's mind blowing because I'm, I'm here and I'm watching the journey and I'm watching somebody who's a friend who's really, really good become a great. And he stayed focused on what it was that he wanted to accomplish. He heard the naysayers. He heard, all right, one year they said, all right, he can't get past the wall. He needs to know how to shoot. So he learned how to shoot a mid-range. All right, he needs to get better in his free throws. Next season, he came back better in his free throws. He needs to know how to shoot better from the three-point line. Came back shooting better from the three-point line. He needs to know how to pass better. He came back passing better. He never took negativity and then allowed it to create a shell for him. Everything that he heard that was somewhat negative was an opportunity for him to grow. And just that very mindset is so far beyond people his age. He's only, what, 26, 27 now, where negativity isn't, wow, this is something negative coming at me. He looked at the negativity and said, this is an opportunity for me to grow. And I think if we all looked at our lives that way, every negative situation is an opportunity to grow. Honestly, I think all of our growth would be unprecedented. Good point. I like that. That's that's tweetable. That's a tweetable line right there. That's amazing. That's interesting, man. So he does. Does he. Does he risk or maybe he does have. Uh, a lack of balance in life. like, And the root of that question is like, I get that. That makes sense, man. He's the hardest working guy in the gym and he's going through these repetitions and all that stuff. Does To the point where they're kicking him out because they fear for his own physical health because he's overdoing it. And I love that point about, you know, he hears negative stuff and he turns it into a positive. But does do, does a guy at that level, I don't know, what's the, and maybe you kind of answered it when you said he only does basketball, right? He doesn't focus on anything else. Is there, is there a lack of balance in his life or does he, do you, do you see how a guy like that can find balance? Is it 
I don't know. I, I'll, I'll leave it with you. I'll let, the, I'll let you take no, that. No, no. I, I, honestly, <laughs> this, this is my honest opinion. And, and this may even be, you know, any great, any great that I've looked at in life. You know, yeah. I think that there's a struggle for balance because I feel like pain pushes promise pulls, right? So if promise pulls you and you, you have this passion, something that you're passionate about, you are always being pulled. Always. There's always going to be something about that promise, that purpose, that thing that buzzes on the inside of you that pulls you. And so everybody who is passionate about something and who is like gun ho on it, where you're you're following your purpose, you're following your dream, you are naturally unbalanced. You, you need to have people to tell you it's OK. I mean, for myself, I'm I'm naturally unbalanced. I, you know, my wife is kind of my my guardrail or my safeguard, if you would, where, you know, I will run, 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 run. And she's like, babe, sleep. Hey, babe, come lay down. And I'm like, I'm writing or I'm, I'm thinking or, you know, it's that's, that's just how I'm naturally wired. And so I think that anybody great, I was studying and I was looking at, you know, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, looking at speakers like Martin Luther King. And you look at Eric Thomas and those guys, and you look at people who built ridiculous businesses. You look at the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Elon Musks. And every time you look at their lifestyles, so many of them, if you were to talk to people that are close to them, they're like, these guys are a little unbalanced because there is something pulling them to keep going. There is something that is always pulling them. And almost when you have a person that is so connected to their purpose and their promise and their dream, they almost have to remind themselves that rest is necessary. Right. And so, so yeah, absolutely. Not just Giannis, but you, me, (laughs) anybody who feels called to do something, you kind of got to remind yourself, like, I need to make sure I'm spending time with my wife, make sure I'm spending time with my family, make sure I'm getting enough rest that I need. You almost got to put it on your calendar to make sure that you're doing it. Because if you don't, your promise will just keep pulling you and pulling you and pulling you along. Man, that's amazing. I, I, I like that because, and I'm glad you said it that way, because I think for me, and asking that question, and I, it's funny when I do these interviews, I really, I really try to ask for me, right? But there's sometimes when I feel like there's a question that needs to be asked for people listening, right? And that's, and that may sound a little counterintuitive, but the question I wanted to ask for people listening was that question because, and and I don't know how you were going to answer it, but I think that's the the best answer you can give. I, I, maybe this happens to you when somebody sees you doing something that they feel is so like significant, what you're doing, right? They, they, they want time. They want to ask you about how you do what you do. But I've often found that they're exploring where, okay, what's the advantage that you have that I don't that allows you to, so that I can excuse me from myself from maybe taking that step, right? That's really the heart of the question. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So for me and asking that question, I think I, I get that sometimes like, oh, okay, well, you're doing all that, but what about your family? Like, do you have fine balance with your family? And if the answer is, look, I struggle with that. Then that's like, oh, well, there you go. That's unacceptable to me. I can't not have balance with my family. You've now given me permission not to pursue my dreams. Come on, Jamie. You're seeking, brother. <laughs> right? You find, I mean, honestly, I mean, any any thoughts on that that you want to share? Oh, it sounds like this hits no, you. absolutely. <laughs> there, there, there are so many there. So they're they're looking for, like you said, almost an escape route or an outlet. Yes. No, this is this is why I, I would absolutely do what you're doing, but I I just can't sacrifice time with my family. I, would, I mean, that just means so much to me. And the funny thing about it is, those same people will sacrifice time for their families for recreational things. 
They, they'll, they'll leave their kids in the dust for a golf, a golf outing. You know what I mean? <laughs> would, you would drop, you would drop Tommy off, little Tommy so fast for a foursome, right? Like it's, it, it happens all the time. We just happen to do it for something that gives us more life. And I realize that I am a better father when promise is pulling me. I'm a better um, father. Yeah. That's yeah. it. I am. I'm, I'm a better husband, right? Um, I, because I'm doing something with intentionality. Now, recreationally, just getting lost out on the greens. Don't get me wrong. I love golf. I love fun. But like that stuff can actually be a little counterintuitive because you have so much fun there and now you're zapped and you come back home and it's like, I just want to lay it out. I don't, you know, I've been in the sun all day. But when I'm driving and I'm pushing and the promise is pulling me, when I come home, I feel fulfilled, right? And then I, I honestly, it challenges me the most because I spend my entire, like my, my, most of my life pouring into other people. Then when everybody else is gone, I make sure I invest the same amount of energy pouring into my kids and pouring into my wife. So it actually challenges me to become better. Man, man, you just knocked that one out of the park. I got to have a basketball reference. Uh, nothing but net. Nothing but net <laughs> on, that, <laughs> on that response. I love it. <laughs> wow. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor your time, but I want to ask one more question um, uh, just to get your take on this, because I think I've seen you talk about this a little bit and it was interesting to me. Uh, and that is like, so you're, you're a relational guy, right? You're, you're a guy who, who values, you know, giving in a relationship versus getting and all of that stuff yep. in the pandemic over the last couple of years, what has this taught you about relationships in general? What has it taught you about? I, I guess, yeah, I'll just leave it there. What has this taught you about relationships this last couple of years in the pandemic? Dude, that's, that's, that's such a loaded question, Jamie. It's unfair. All right. So <laughs> I, I'll try to answer it as, as short as possible. What is it talking about relationships? Number one has taught me that we as human beings, we need relationships. Number one, there was such a level of, uh, of I think, just unhealthy separation, if you would, that came as a result of the pandemic. And I do believe that people were in somewhat of a mental prison and don't even know it. All right. Yeah. So parts of extreme punishment in prison, uh, when, when an inmate is really, really, really bad, the, the only way to really teach them a lesson is to put them in the hole. So if I separate them from general population, gen pop, right, and I put you in an isolated space, I am, in fact, punishing you. This is like the, our worst form of punishment to get you to change your behavior. So if we think that the pandemic didn't change our behavior, we may have missed the picture already because I, I, I did to you what was the worst punishment that is supposed to be humanely responsible. It's isolating you and, and, and leaving you to the whims of yourself. So I do think that uh, the pandemic was a little bit dangerous because it kind of separated and some people had to learn how to like even come back around like siblings and families. You know, it's like it's a little a little weird, a little bit, have to try to figure it out again. And yeah. do I take my mask off going over sister's house or do I not? Or, you know, do I kiss my niece or do I, you know, you're, you're, you have to kind of learn that stuff all over, which is actually fun to me. But the other part about it is it made you really value relationships. So it made me being a pastor speaking to a camera. Right. And like you're used to, you know, kissing the babies, hugging the families. You're so used to I get my energy from people. So my passion is people. But also what fuels me is people. So if you take if you take away what fuels me, I, I realize I'm not the same. So there was such a value that I had for just the simple interactions. Some that simple, which is why I smile all the time. But think about it for almost two years. I couldn't see your smile. 
I, I saw your eyes and had to hope you were smiling, right? So this is kind of all you saw, right? You had yeah. to hope, I think they're smiling or maybe they're disgusted. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But but for, for almost two years, I didn't, you didn't see smiles. Yeah. Um, you didn't get a chance to to get the nonverbal language, you know what I'm saying? Which is the 90% of communication. Uh, the hugs, the touch, the feels, what you feel when you're around people who genuinely love you and care about you. Uh, I learned that, that relationships are, are absolutely essential and absolutely valuable, not just uh, for like happiness and joy, but really for well-being. I, I really believe that that's the way that God created us. Uh, and this is when we talk about finding your net or finding your group and finding your accountability. All of those words are just key words is saying, find the people who speak life into you and are safe and, and create a safe zone for you. So the pandemic taught me that that if you don't have that, it's so much more important now because I saw a lot of people who didn't do well. Um, I'm big into mental health. And I think that coming out of the pandemic, I would encourage the entire world to go sit on somebody's couch and just kind of talk it out for 30 minutes because it's so it's so much that happened without even recognizing. It. And without, you know, look, mental health has made a lot of strides, meaning like recognition of mental health as something real, not just something that's perceived in somebody's brain has yeah. made a lot of strides over the last decade, two decades. But you're probably forced forward dramatically in the pandemic. So if there's a gift, perhaps it's that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So. That's a good point. What's next for you, my friend? I know you've got uh, you've got uh, maybe some speaking that you're going to be doing. Talk to me about what what your what's what's the next iteration of of Ken Locke? What are we going to see from you? Yes, yes, so absolutely. So for me, um, I'm beyond pastoring, also doing corporate speaking. And so I've already got opportunities to do um, uh, a few speaking opportunities. That is a passion for me. So it's funny when you see somebody as a pastor, you're like, but can they speak in a corporate setting? And there's always people nervous, like, is he going to come here and preach to us? <laughs> you know, but I actually love people. So I don't like, it doesn't have to be come and preach a message, but sincerely, I love, love leadership. Uh, I love culture, right? My first book right now, I can't give you the title because I don't want people to spill it. I think it's that good of a title. Yeah. Uh, but writing my first book and it's talking about what I learned uh, from working with the championship team and uh, what, what I learned from just their experiences, from their ups and their downs. And I got some, uh, I have some great interviews that I've had with some of the players and some input that they've had from their values and their experiences in it. Uh, so my first book, um, speaking, man, I'm passionate about just getting the message of what, of what real leadership is, not just for a um, these 10 steps to becoming a, a, a great leader. I really do believe that being a great leader starts with what's happening on the inside of you. You square it away, not just trying to gain influence of people, but why do I want to influence people? So that's my that's my passion right now. Wow, man. John Maxwell, reborn. I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the big guy. That's him, right? <laughs> that's one day, John, here's this. He's like, yeah, the young guy. I started <laughs> when I was 17 listening to John Maxwell. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. I have a couple of his books, I think, up on the shelf there somewhere. So, yeah, wow, yeah. man. I, again, I could go another hour with you and I hope we stay connected. I'm sure we will. I, I, we, we actually had a, a good discussion about speaking and, you know, all of that, but we'll, we'll stay in touch for sure. But yes. where can people learn more about you, find you? Where do you want to direct folks so they can, uh, they can, well, let's start with this. Where can people just follow you? If they just want to like follow your journey, let's start with that. Where's the best place for that? Oh, best place is going to be two places going to be, you know, Facebook. All right. Kenneth Locke. I, I essentially kind of like the second on Facebook. Also, uh, Kenneth, Kenneth Lock the second on Instagram. So you find me on both of those. On both of them, you have access to my link trees. You have access to anything that I'm doing. My book is going to be coming out as well. Uh, yeah. Later this year, you'll get access to that. And um, also access if you want me to come to speak. I've spoken yeah. for, you know, uh, youth events, for corporate events. 
my passion right now is mainly leadership, right? I'm, I like talking to, to high caliber people, um, not just because of the gifting, but because I do believe that leaders have an opportunity to change the world in a quicker format. So that's my passion right now. I love it. Where can people, if they wanted to have you maybe come speak to their team or their organization, is there a place they can reach out for that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so if you uh, send an email to connect at Kenneth Lock, ii.com. Uh, we have links for all of my link tree from all of my booking information will all be there. So that's connect at Kenneth Lock, ii.com. Ii.com, the second. Can man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, this is this episode is fire. This is going to be probably one of our most listened to, if not our most listened to episodes. In fact, I feel like I want to make sure of that. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> this was great. I, I, I'm shaking a little bit just from the, the energy that uh, uh, that we shared through this whole thing. So, Thank you so man, much, no, man, thanks for the time. I appreciate you taking it. I appreciate being part of this. And uh, I look forward to I look forward to, to following your journey and seeing how you go. Man, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for uh, to stay connected with you as well for all the hot stuff you got going on. So don't forget about me. <laughs> Never will. Never will. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. All right. You as well, brother. that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that $1 to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast and you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. 